Greetings to all the listeners of the Aviators channel, the first aviation podcast of India. In the first season of this podcast, we intend to bring in various aviation personnel like pilots, engineers, ground staff, aviation doctors and more and ask them questions which not just aviation personnel like me would be interested in but will also impart a certain level of knowledge in non-aviation guys who would be interested in this field. Today we start off episode 1 with one of the most versatile aviators I have known of. He has been a very vital part uh, in the Indian Air Force as a fighter jet pilot going up the ranks in the forces to retire as a chief operations officer and then eventually taking a switch to civil aviation to fly business jets and now co- commercial airliners. He comes in with a bag of experience from seeing all sides of aviation. Let me introduce you to Wing Commander Abhijit Gokhale. Welcome to our podcast sir. It is a pleasure having you as my first guest of honor. I have always looked up to Air Force pilots for motivation and today I consider myself highly privileged to be having this conversation with you. Uh, to start off, can you uh, tell us uh, in brief about your history in aviation and how you uh, got into aviation and just just a quick uh, introduction from your side? Um for all the listeners okay at the outset let me thank you for such a lovely introduction uh, uh, it's it's actually very uh, sometimes i do feel embarrassed when people start talking of my achievements because i always believe that it is not something that i did extraordinary it is just something that i kept fitting into at every place and i have reached this position okay so thank you once thank again uh okay as far as uh, my aviation journey goes i'll just quickly uh, maybe a minute or so let you know uh, i always wanted to be a soldier right through my school days and as i grew okay. i started to become a started wanting to become a fighter pilot right right and uh, then i kept working towards it joined the national defense academy flew the gliders and then got commissioned as a fighter pilot in the air force flew the right. mid 21s for a long time uh, during the training stages i went through a propeller that is the hpt 32 then the ishkra which is a jet trainer and then flew right. for a long time mm-hmm. i became a instructor in the air force at the age of uh, 28 and uh, kept instructing on mix right uh, i went on to do all the roles that any air force officer does squadron pilot flight commander chief operations officer and so on and so forth is right. just a sequential progression of your in your career Right. And then I was lucky to get a deputation with the state government of Maharashtra. I flew the state government aircraft for 3 years. Okay. Then went back to the Air Force to fly the Hawks. Left the Air Force uh, in uh, 2015 July and right. then joined the uh, corporate, flew the Embraer and after 3 and a half years of the corporate I'm now flying uh, Airbus 320 in an airline. Oh, that's that's and lovely sir. I flew a microlight and uh, So I've gone through everything from a glider to a microlight to a propeller to a piston to a jet to a jet, jet fighter, yeah. multi-engine jets and what have you. <laughs> Absolutely, sir. That's that's lovely. So that's basically so covering all types of engines and all types of flight forms yeah. that we study uh, as you know young pilots. That's amazing. So, uh, so uh, just like a quick question for the state governments, uh, which uh, happens to Air Force. So, are you still a part of Air Force when the deputation happens, or they like they take you out of Air Force and put put you on uh, as an employee of the state government? Uh, how does that work? Okay, that's a nice question. Okay, what happens is uh, what used to happen earlier was the state governments always wanted some experienced pilots to fly the aircraft that they had bought for the uh, chief minister and governor. Okay, so right. They started approaching the air force to get the qualified pilots. Of course, uh, the pilots needed to have a civil flying license. Right. Now the deputation means that they have asked the air force to send somebody to fly their dignitaries for a period of say at least minimum three years. okay so when i went across to the state government of maharashtra i was still right. in service with the indian air force it was a deputation for a period of 3 years okay at the end of 3 oh, okay. years okay. when okay. i went back to the air force yes there is an option that in case you have reached the minimum qualifying service of the air force you can ask for release from the air force and join the state government or you could ask for permanent absorption to the state government so there are other methods and in my case i went back to the air force served for another year and a half and then uh, left right 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 got so it that's how it is but essentially okay. you are right you are still a part of the indian air force when you go on deputation okay perfect perfect got it okay sir uh, so uh, starting off so, so first thing which i wanted to know is um, 
regarding obviously now we are talking about aviation so when was the first time you 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 had that idea that aviation is your field of work like when when was the first time you thought okay this is something interesting and this is what i want to do for life okay uh, you know incidentally it's a coincidence only yesterday i shared a video of my first wings okay great oh it's yeah it's 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 a funny coincidence you asked me this question but uh, like i said it was in school that i joined the ncc okay in 1983 and therefore now i can okay. relate yeah. the fact i can uh, tell you the fact because i've just gone through this video yesterday only <laughs> in 1983 when i was in school right uh, the gujarat skydiving federation came to the school to con- con- conduct a camp of parasailing okay okay and uh, i took part in the camp though i was very light and 40 kgs but they added some weights onto me by strapping up some books in bags and i did five parasailings ascent and okay. descent okay those five launches right is what no is it it just convinced me i needed to join aviation in fact it right. was an obsession in fact right okay and then i started working towards it and the best way to join was through the national defense academy because i always wanted to become a soldier also absolutely right so these were the two things which ran parallel i had to merge them and that happened at the national defense academy okay absolutely sir in fact uh, i would like to add something on to this uh, yeah. i my first uh, experience of flight okay so i had uh, i always wanted to be a pilot <laughs> but uh, things uh, you know financially they were not adding up when i passed out of my 12th grade um and uh, in fact maybe in 2019 and uh, was the first time i had my first flight and uh, everyone remembers their first flight i'm sure even like all the after all these years even you would be remembering the first time you oh, got in a plane and uh, you know took off um and uh, you know uh, i i remember having uh, teary eyes when the first 10 minutes into that flight you're just very conscious about all that is happening like in my first thought was how am i able to how can i ever do this all by myself right there's so much multitasking so much so much communication happening and all of that it was a little intriguing to me but uh, incidentally it was a sunset flight and uh, i i had did my flight training in california so um, it was a very beautiful view outside and uh, maybe 15 to 20 minutes into the flight uh, we are cruising at a certain level and obviously the first flight is like an introductory flight most of the flying your instructor is doing um and in that moment i realized that this is this is a machine which is in air it's 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 flying in air and because i put like thrust into the or power into the engines and that was a like a un- unbelievable feeling for me and that's when i realized like once you have felt the you know feeling of flight i don't think there is there is much of going back from there so i'm sure your parasailing or paragliding experience was the first time that you felt that because that's also you know kind of controlling or maneuvering into the air for you to you know uh, stay up there so yeah sure it's it's absolutely a completely amazing feeling to have uh, so sir uh, another thing which i wanted to personally know uh which i'm sure many people in india would be also interested in knowing is how was the selection and training process in in the forces like in air force like like once you got in the nda how is the training process from there to you being commissioned as an officer or a you know as a pilot how how does that go so basically what happens is when you join the national defense academy uh, right during the interview process you have to opt for a particular service the army navy or the air force right If you opt for the Air Force, you go for us SSB, which is Air Force specific, right? Because they also conduct the pilot aptitude battery test. Okay. Right. And after the interview, if you are successful, again, when you go for the medical, the medical for the Air Force is slightly more detailed and separate. Right. Right. So once you get selected, though all of us join together at the same time, the training is similar, same rather till the fifth end of the fifth term. Okay. it's only in the fifth term that you actually get trifurcated into the army navy air force right and then you study your specific service subjects both ground training and practical practical okay yeah. so in terms for the air force guys the ground training is the same subjects aerodynamics aero engines avionics technical airmanship etc etc okay right the practical training is gliding 
Okay. So during my time, it was an unpowered Ardhra glider. Oh, okay. It is the same thing like you do a parasailing where the jeep pulls the parasail. Here, the winch pulls the glider. Right. And you get airborne. You release the cable, and then you have potential and kinetic energy which you use to stay airborne till the time you can and come back and land. Okay. 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 So you do sixty-five launches. If you're good enough, then you do a solo check and a solo. Right. And not many. I was lucky. I was one of the lucky ones to get uh, my wings there. Right. And when you finish ND, then you go for for your basic flying training. Okay. Which is on propellers. Okay. Okay. So obviously, I did this uh, more than close to thirty years ago. Okay. Okay. So things have changed quite a bit. Uh, now, sure, course, sure. At the ND, they got a powered glider called the Super Demona. Right. And uh, once I finished my NDA, I went to Allahabad Basic Flying Training School where I flew the HPT thirty two. Right. Which is now, of course, phased out and replaced by uh, uh, a propeller trainer. Right. Okay. Uh, and then once I did flew about two hundred hours on the HPT, then I went to the advanced flying, which was the fighter training wing at Hakimpet near Hyderabad. Hyderabad, right. And flew the Ishkra, which is a single engine jet trainer. Okay. It's an aircraft of Polish origin, which is also used in actual operations by some countries. Okay. Okay. And so I spent one year training like that. I flew again about. Uh, uh, by the time I got commissioned, I had flown two hundred hours. Okay. In in addition to the uh, gliding. Gliding, right, right, and, right. And then you have a trifurcation board just before the commissioning based on your performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, they decide whether you are good enough for fighters, transports, helicopters. Right. And also, this also depends on the vacancy. Right. Right. Sure. Right. Uh, so I got into fighters, and then I went to a, a fighter squadron where I did a training on the MiG twenty one for a year. Okay. Okay. At the end of which, then I was posted to an operational squadron where I did my operational flying. Right. Got my operational status. Okay. And that's how I continued in the fighter squadron. After end of six years, I was selected to be instructor and went on to become an instructor. Ah, uh, that's amazing. So, just one quick question, and yeah. that is, um, now that you have probably seen the medicals that are required for uh, civil aviation, yeah, how how much more stringent is the medical for uh, the forces? Um, oh, it is. It is very different, and it is much, much more stringent. Okay, I okay. will tell you why. Uh, if you see a civil aircraft, you can fit it in the cockpit. Any individual can. Right. It doesn't matter what is size, height, sitting height, arm length, leg length, is. Right. Fighters are not designed like that. Fighters are extremely limited space. Right. right. So your height, your sitting height, your leg length, your arm length, you no, know, where you reach the controls because you're all going to be strapped up to the ejection seat. Right. So that become very very critical. Also, why sitting height is. it's not to reach the controls because in a fighter you sit with the canopy just above your head right during an ejection okay there has to be a gap between the head and the canopy okay if your sitting height is too high you mm-hmm. may not have the clearance required right right so you may be unfit for a certain kind of fighter for example there were some guys who were tall their sitting height was high so they were unfit for the migs but they were fit for the jaguars Okay. Okay. Got it. So the sitting height, then your leg length, because the rudders have to be operated. You cannot move. The seats in the fighters doesn't move fore and aft. Oh, okay. Just moves up and down. Okay. Okay. And that is why the sitting height, the leg length, and then because you are tightly strapped up, you cannot sit loose. Right. Okay. Because of the ejection seat, because you could have to eject any time. You could be at hundred meters, and suddenly the engine flames. You have to eject. You may not get time to strap up. Right. Okay, so while sitting there, you should be able to operate every control, the switches, everything. Right. So that's why the medical is much more stringent, right? Got, got it, got also, it. Also, you must understand that whatever training you do, the government is going to spend on it. It's the taxpayers' hard-earned money. Money, right? So you can't have somebody who's not fifty-fifty medical or even ninety-ten. Yeah, right. Percent, maybe he will make it. No, because it's finally cost to the exchequer. Absolutely, sir. Absolutely. So the in the medical, a huge number of people uh, get rejected because of the medical. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, got, that's that's completely understandable, sir. Because uh, most of these uh, commercial airliners that you know I have come across, they uh, are quite comfortable. Like in, in oh, yeah. the the comfort level uh, of a cockpit is uh, 
or the ergonomics of the cockpit are made in such a way that they are suitable to you know pilots of all kinds so i guess the the uh, commercial airliners are made uh, from the pilots comfort uh, you know uh, uh, perspective um, uh, unlike the fighter jets that uh, i'll tell you what you know i'll just add on to it you know i spent 20 years sitting on a ejection seat right what is a ejection seat the ejection seat is a pilot seat under which there are 16 rockets right when you fire the ejection seat you get thrown out of the cockpit at the force of 16 times the force of gravity gravity right okay so that is how uh, i would say comfortable the ejection seats are seats <laughs> and they talk about russian machines they say the russians always made a cockpit and found a place for the pilot to sit <laughs> yeah right 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 okay and the migs for example were meant to be flown at high altitudes for mm-hmm. short flights right so they say the temperature control in the mig 21 is warm hot and super hot okay there is no pilot comfort pilot can I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> right so um that's that's uh, understandable why the medicals are so stringent and in fact uh, you know everyone talks about uh, the forces <coughs> to have these uh, stringent uh, medical requirements but uh, now in fact uh, personally also now i know why those you know medicals are made that stringent uh, because uh, they have a reason behind everything that is done uh, over there yeah, so you know what you also need to understand that quite a few fighters are single seat right okay so unlike in a civil aircraft where two pilots will always be there even in case of a worst case scenario of a incapacitation there is somebody else to get the aircraft down down right in a fighter there is no scope right right so it becomes all that more critical absolutely and absolutely they are also expensive machines okay right But right right expensive right. as an airbus or a 777 777 for sure it's prohibitively expensive a nation can't just let it go go right so makes sense it makes sense uh, we will move on to the next uh, thing which is which is something which uh, i personally feel is very important in today's day and time um uh, apart from this physical fitness that uh, that we just spoke about um it, uh, the the forces make you go through a lot of uh, training uh, related to mental fitness and in uh, today's time where we are living in a space where mental fitness and mental health is uh, spoken about um could you tell us a little bit uh, about how air force shaped you to be mentally fit and mentally strong okay so i will tell you this okay i joined the national defense academy when i was 17 and a half okay i was a school kid right i never stayed away from home right right in 3 years of that training when i finished my national defense academy i need to be converted into a warrior right who doesn't question why something has been ordered to be done right okay who should be willing to fire the gun at the end of which he doesn't need to ask this bo- the guy who's given the order is it my friend or foe foe yeah okay apart from that the challenge that you face in the armed forces is immense right okay for example i i don't know if you heard of the kargil conflict right right yes sir i have so there were young officers 20 to 23 year old commissioned of just within a year who went and fought the battles right right and they achieved some amazing successes right now unless you're mentally conditioned to that level of toughness okay right believe you me everybody says that no no I, it can be done you know things can be achieved but the first time i lost my coachmate in a air crash i was affected right when you see your colleagues dying you get affected absolutely when you know that your gun or your rocket or your bomb has killed somebody you will be affected affected absolutely and that's what the training is for you can't be affected you can't allow that to stop you from doing your duty right right so it is tough it is tough it is not meant for kids right it is meant to convert kids to soldiers right it is meant to convert young teenagers to leaders of men to soldiers right right that's that's i would just sum it up in that manner um so uh, also along with that uh, which i mean if you can remember uh, what was one of the most grueling times uh, while working in the f- uh, forces or like a task which you can still remember very vividly if you can share that with us that's never, never. 
there were there are many many occasions many many occasions okay like uh, but one i distinctly remember is uh, in 2001 during op parakram after the parliament was attacked right my son was just born he was about a month and a half old okay right and my wife was also in the air force right and uh, i was augmented to a forward base to you know uh, for an operational reason and i right. knew my wife could also be augmented Mm-hmm. and we were in question where to leave my son right so at that's the time uh, no such challenges you do face so it was a tough time absolutely but then yes absolutely you, sir you have to finally say ki it doesn't matter so i went for my augmentation and we just requested mm-hmm. the air force that in case my wife is augmented to just route her via mumbai so we can drop my two month old son with my parents right so these are some of the challenges that you face there were other challenges also you know uh, like when i was an instructor there was a a youngster cadet whose parents had to come and visit him right okay? and uh, you know, uh, to make arrangements i had to f- fight a lot right okay or there was a case where you know where there was an accident and uh, you know uh, in my squadron and i had to go and uh, recover the debris and right of the same person with whom you had had uh, lunch lunch yeah so these are challenges that you do face and i think every soldier goes through it right so uh, there you i could go on and on and on and on and on because uh, but there is no end to it so uh, absolutely sir absolutely also sir i personally i wanted to ask you something uh, regarding the uh, the friendships that you make uh, in the forces or the uh, <laughs> uh, the brothers and sisters that you you know uh, get out of uh, the forces i personally went through a it's a very short duration but i went through a 10 day um a military camp when back when i was in the uh, 7th or 8th grade maybe i was 13 or 14 years old and i had absolutely no idea what i was going to go through i thought it's just another camp and i just have to go there have some fun for 10 days with my friends and that's it i come back now when i reached there this was uh, uh, the bhosla military camp in uh, nashik you know so, what Same yes thing. i did a one month camp in 1986 it called the summer military training camp oh that's that's lovely one month then <laughs> yeah they they still they so they still have a one month course too but luckily for me i went there for 10 days and no phones right no phones nothing at nothing, all nothing 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 at all <laughs> and i had no idea uh, what i was signing up for my parents had you know paid for it and i had four of my school friends with me and uh, they said okay I, we were happy because we were like okay first time all five of us are going out and staying holiday. together <laughs> it's a holiday amazing <laughs> we reached there and our parents uh, you know we they got us to one of the uh, one of the uh, rooms and they said now stay like your uh, goodbyes to your parents and you'll see them in 10 days so we said we we did all that they put us in uh, buses they took us to this remote uh, area and um, they made us stand in groups they said okay so all you friends who have come together stand together and uh, we will uh, you know give you uh, give you these tents accordingly now <laughs> we are very happy we thought okay this is amazing that me and my five friends we were like chalo saath mein rahenge it's a great deal you know we will have a, a ball in one tent and we'll play games and what not now they put us they were smarter than us we didn't know that yeah <laughs> my question is did you see your friends for the 10 days that you were there or only at the end of the 10 day i i i we were we were all five of us put in five different camps exactly. away from each other okay so expected so so i was like okay now now how do we like how and we don't know we are we are kids in 13 13 year old kids we have absolutely no idea what to do these are new people around us and uh, you i'm sure you know it uh, the the camps had about 15 people uh, the tents had about 15 people in each tent so and absolutely new people now zero socializing skills zero you know talking skills we had always grown up in a cocoon not gone out of our school's uh, shelter so uh, we had no idea how to approach this now first day went second day went and uh, now they, they we had these activities that to do right so um, every day they they used to make us go through these activities and um, um, in the second or third day everyone in the tent like we we didn't really talk to each other because everyone was of the same age in second or third day we realized that if it's not for 
others around us if we don't talk we are not going to survive this so we were made to we were compelled to you know make friends over there and 10 days we have we we have created a bond between the new tent members that we had to a point where some of them are still a very good friend of mine like i i'm still in contact with a couple of them so i guess uh, you know that got me and now after on the 10th day when my parents came i have <coughs> basically you know i i haven't spoken to them for a day or two because i was just so annoyed by the fact that what was i expecting and what have i come out you know <laughs> after these 10 days but now i look back you know um, uh, and in hindsight i would definitely say that was such a big learning curve for me like those 10 days in fact i i don't remember any of the other summer camps but this summer camp i uh, vividly remember because we have uh, so we were giving given small books uh, they were like diaries and uh, the the uh, camp member the the, the soldier whoever was uh, conducting the camp they had told us you have to write every day so we we had written on in those diaries every day about what we did about other people and i mean that created a bond between in fact on the 7th or 8th day couple of guys they were so homesick they they had no one but us to share their you know uh, uh, feelings with and uh, talk to us with so uh, we made such strong bonds in those 10 days i'm sure going through air force uh, through so many years um, veterans like you make strong much stronger bonds right i'll tell you what you know the first thought that comes to my mind when you were telling me this is thank god you are not making a video because you would have seen seen me seen me smiling and laughing like that <laughs> you are telling me yeah okay. right and second that thought comes to my mind is you know when you are relating your experience you speak to any soldier and he will tell you you are you are telling me my story story absolutely and i'm not disappointed with the instructors there they have done exactly what should be done with anybody who wants to wear the uniform absolutely absolutely the only way that is the singular only way that you learn camaraderie esprit de corps team building and bond with your buddies absolutely sir that's it i mean i can't put it better i think you described it and i think you spent 10 days you yes sir that india 3 years 3 full years 24 into 365 that's 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 a i <laughs> honestly this is something which is like a secret if my you know if someone in family listens to this this is the first time they'll come to know but uh, yeah. so after after the 10 days every year when this summer camp used to happen and <coughs> in those 10 days we got to know that there is something for a month also yeah. so <laughs> so um after after that one summer camp every every summers uh, the the um, nashik military uh, uh, school or whatever they used to conduct this uh, camp Correct. they used to send a letter to my house uh, with an invitation for your kid to come for the yeah. longer summer camp um, now um, because it was like their way of inducting that kind of culture in kids and eventually getting them in the military because they start training a certain you know person uh, the the earlier they stronger by the mind and uh, by the physique Correct. so um, every time after that that year the letter which used to come i think even even now it still comes uh, to my house i i take that letter and i hide it i don't let it reach my parents <laughs> because i know if this goes there then maybe you know there's still time for me to go for that three, uh, one month what you know uh, i will tell you i will share you this uh, in 2019 okay i did a bike ride to nasik okay, okay. i went to bosla military school and spent half a day with them okay i took some photographs with the cadets and students who are there right okay? and i still have the certificate that i got after finishing the military training camp right i still have got a few photographs of my camp there na in that typical dress with that full feta on top right because right because i was also the escort and the chief guest for the passing we had a passing out parade of shankar dayal sharma right so it bring back a lot of memories memories so yeah <laughs> yeah those this these are the kind of memories so now i look back and you know uh, i kind of cherish those memories and uh, to be very honest uh, uh, i think that was the time when you know all of us like we were about 30 people uh, in that camp and in 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 uh, hindsight we all grew so much in those 10 days uh, to a point where um, one of my tent members he was lucky i was lucky to have one of my friends in my tent so he uh, was very attached to his mother 
and he had never been away from his mother for more than you know a day or two uh, so he had decided on the seventh day to walk out of the camp go to the highway take a bus from nashik to mumbai <laughs> he wanted to run away so he had made a whole plan and the only person who he had told uh, this plan to was me and i think one more guy knew about this so uh, he had told us ki uh, i'm going to leave at night i'm going to just sneak out at 1 o'clock and uh, i'm going to take whatever bus i see i'm going to stop the bus and i'm going to get on that bus and uh, leave for mumbai okay. and i i still remember on that on that sixth day night uh, both of us we told him Uh, don't do it you know just just four days uh, you'll get through it and at the end of it you'll realize how you know self sufficient you are and all that because i think uh, the f- couple of guys uh, including me we had realized this is it now there is no going back you exactly. either finish you either finish the 10 days or you you like then otherwise you're a failure and you don't want to be a failure <laughs> so so uh, i we we tried to convince him ki yaar don't don't do it um, it's going to be a big learning curve for you and uh, maybe and and uh, he didn't do it he he stayed back like next day we woke up and we told him you know as friends and as brothers we'd be disappointed if you if we don't don't see you the next day morning and uh, in, like the in the years to come we are going to still be friends right so in, you don't want to be a quitter in front of your friends and all of that like we had given now now these are all seventh graders giving a seventh grader a pep talk <laughs> so so, yeah, yeah. so uh, it was in hindsight today even today like he's a good friend of mine uh, we meet and we still talk about uh, you know that camp and we laugh about it now but i think i personally think that that made some some kind of person out of us like uh, the, oh, yes 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 and Absolutely. i believe me believe me you that experience will stand you in good stead even at a later stage in your life Absolutely. when you face challenges and when you need to motivate somebody no uh, not right, to give right. up right right absolutely sir okay so move, moving moving on sir we'll yeah. uh, we'll quickly uh, move on to the next phase of uh, your aviation career yeah. so eventually sir when you made the shift to uh, civil aviation starting with business jets yeah. um as a pilot sir what is the first difference in sops now we all follow a lot of sops there's really? a lot of talk about sops um so what's the first uh, uh, first difference that you saw or uh, the biggest differences that you saw as in sops uh, between the forces and the civil aviation okay uh, to put it very simply see i had flown single seat fighters right okay and the military aviation the primary consideration is uh, mission accomplishment at all cost okay right you will, you will take a risk you will take a chance for the sake of completion of the mission okay right whereas in civil it is not so okay civil flying is designed to keep yourself safe first right to say safe legal economical right correct right just follow the procedure it doesn't matter whether the mission is achieved or not not right for example i'll give you a simple thing and i'll give you an example the first time i went for training on a uh, multi engine civil aircraft right. i went for a sim to the united states okay, okay? and uh, i didn't have an indian with me there was a guy from portugal who was also training with me right so we did the initial thing and in the first couple of sims later we got the first practice of a engine failure after takeoff right right the moments are engine fire after takeoff the moment the fire came on okay that inherent fighter training in me came about right, right. i did everything on my own by rote without looking at the checklist without looking at the sop and leveled up the aircraft okay right everything was correct right so the instructor froze the sim he said right. young man why did you do everything by road i said did i miss out anything he said no i said then why he said because there is another pilot please also ask him to earn his money right <laughs> okay also there is a checklist please use the checklist so checklist, this was yeah. the biggest challenge for me okay right all my life my entire checklist mm-hmm. okay whether it is for the st- basic checks or the emergencies or the qrh as you call it in the civil world okay mm-hmm. everything was by road right every single parameter the procedure of the aircraft was in the mind because in a fighter you don't have time to keep a checklist you don't have place to keep a checklist right okay for example when i used to fly a fighter and i had to carry a map this is how i would hold it right okay i mean when in your fingers and then fly right there was no place to put it anywhere in the aircraft right so this was one change okay second is uh, 
there was no rush to do anything. Yeah. The speeds were much, much slower. Right. So there was always a time. Right. Okay. So this, and then the biggest thing is about CRM. Absolutely. Right. That means you have to take the cabin crew along, you have to take your co-pilot along, also the passengers along, everybody. Everyone, yeah. Whereas in the Air Force, especially in fighters, since I didn't fly the helicopters and transports in the Air Force, in the right. fighters, everything rolled around, taking the fighter, come what may, yes. CRM in terms of the Air Force, when you fly in formation, there are four or five uh, other aircraft with you. And right. other pilots, you look after each other's tail. Your job is to ensure that he also stays safe. Right. So that kind of CRM is there. Okay. But this was different. Here, the procedure was more important okay, right. than the mission. Okay. I don't want to say that the Air Force, the procedure is not. Procedures, SOPs are extremely critical. And you can be uh, you know, grounded for not following procedures and rules. Right. But the mission accomplishment is equally critical. Critical. The other difference is, whereas fighters are meant for maneuverability. Right. And since you are a pilot, you would understand maneuverability and stability are inversely proportional. Proportional, absolutely. So fighters are meant for maneuverability, so they are inherently unstable platforms. Platforms, right. Absolutely. Whereas the civil aircraft are meant for stability and therefore the maneuverability is extremely restricted. Right. So this is the major difference that I had to learn. Right. Got it. So that is the basic difference. Nothing much. Piloting skills remain the same. Yes, I still love to fly with the autopilots and everything off. I am a manual pilot. Visual flying. Give me any day and you will see the joy on my face. as face, you yeah. a lollipop. <laughs> When you ask me to connect the autopilot and operate the buttons, it is as as bad as me seeing a computer for the first time. First time, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> also, sir, one more thing which uh, I have, uh, you know, come across many, many, uh, you know, videos and uh, where Air Force pilots talk about um, commercial flying is uh, the limits that you have as an Air Force pilot or as a, you know, uh, military pilot are very stringent compared to civil limits. The, the, uh, plus minus limits of doing anything, any any uh, numbers, say um, rate of climbs or uh, maneuvering yeah, speeds. Yeah. See, I'll tell you what. For example, you know, uh, like the Airbus 320 that I fly. Okay. Right. In uh, in the normal law with uh, you know, full uh, safety, even if I pull the stick fully back, the aircraft will go to a particular attitude and stay there. It will not stay there. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, if I want to rotate. Uh, Turn around 360 degrees with a bank on, I can put on as much bank as I want. It will not go beyond a certain bank. Bank, right. Whereas a fighter or even a, a, a fighter is maneuverable in 360 degrees in all three planes. Absolutely. Okay, the transport also can go to 90 degree bank. It will go to vertical pitch. It will go to vertical descent down pitch and so on and so forth. Right. Right. So the limits are extremely, uh, no, there's a vast, vast difference. And like I said, G forces, 6G, 7G, 8G, you know. Yeah. Maybe 2.3, 2.5G and it would give up. Right. So that is the major difference. Yes, it is there. But that's it's not out of ability or capability. It is out of design. Design, right, right. right? So that's how it is. And okay, speeds, so... of course. Speeds, yes. Huge, huge speeds. Yeah, the right. 21, the landing speed is 350 to 400 kilometers per hour. That's faster than uh, the speed at which a space shuttle lands. Lands, right. So, so I, I'm, I'm assuming it's like a very big downshift when you go from a fighter, say a MiG-21 flying to a business jet, a Gulfstream flying in terms of speeds and limits, uh, I would say. I would like... say a downshift, it just requires a little bit of change. Change, okay. okay. Acceptance to the fact that your role, your job, your requirements are different. Right. The earlier you accept it, the easier it is to change over. Right. Okay. Yes. Given a choice, I would go back and fly a MiG-29 any day. Any day, right. But it's not always possible. Somewhere down the line in the Air Force, you would also stop flying. Right, right. The advantage sure. of civil flying is that uh, today, if I was in the Air Force, I, may, I wouldn't have been flying on a regular basis. I would have been flying maybe once in a month right. if I was lucky. Otherwise, maybe not fly for two, three years, depending on the appointment or the post that I am. Right. Whereas here, I can continue to fly officially till the age of 65 on a commercial license and thereafter on a private pilot's license as a joy flying. 
as joy flying right 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 so that is the difference got it sir so also um, so there is one one uh, you know small phase of your uh, flying uh, career where you were flying uh, as a non scheduled operator pilot right Correct. nsop flying um now uh, we have known that nsop flying has its uh, you know pros in terms of the finances but uh, us, uh, if you have faced any what are the uh, few cons of flying under nsop okay i will tell you i flew in an nsop for three and a half years okay, okay. yes i was extremely happy flying that machine because firstly it was an ember air which had a lot of manual flying which i could do unlike an airbus which is completely automatic automated yeah and auto throttle and things like that so i do get disappointed i still sometimes feel bored flying the airbus on a long durations sortie okay. right uh, the only problem with nsop is it is completely unscheduled right right because uh, you could be on standby all the time right in an airline you will have a roster a monthly roster or a 15 day roster right yeah not to say of course airlines also have cancellation of rosters but in an uh, nsop you are on standby all the time so the freedom to live your own life is much lesser than lesser. that in the airline right, right right yes it has got its benefits of corporates and all that the corporate benefits the other major issue is uh, never join the corporate at an early stage in your career okay because the amount of flying that you'll get is very limited okay right so for example you may fly just about 200 250 hours 300 hours in a year in a year yeah so the right. time you require to become to get your atpl or to upgrade to a captain will be much much more more right as in an airline the moment you join within 2 years you'll definitely cross 1000 hours that's true you they they make sure, they make yeah, yeah they make sure you get to that point uh, as soon as possible because because of the fact that you uh, know airlines will have aircraft that fly for 2 3 hours i used to fly the embraer flight duration was 1 hour right so i came after the air force with all qualifications it's okay but for a youngster joining a corporate it can be a bit of a disappointment right if he wants to upgrade in his career if he just career. Wants to fly and get a good pay then corporate is fine fine yeah right uh, so sir after this this corporate phase of your flying um, what made you move to the commercial airliner field was it like an opportunity which you uh, took or uh, just an opportunity which came your way and you took it or was it like a conscious decision which you wanted to take okay it is uh, there is nothing see this is the the airbus is the 15th aircraft that i'm flying okay great okay like i said i started with a glider and a microlight and a propeller single engine jet fighters and all that Right. right. Uh, so there is nothing, uh, nothing per se for an upgradation to a different type or a better aircraft or something that I look forward to. No, my personal reason was simple. I just wanted to get into a company which gave me a scheduled plan of flying, and I got time for myself in advance. Okay. Okay. So the best is a scheduled carrier because they have a roster. Even if it's only fifteen days, at least you know in a fifteen right. day period. And yes. it still does not mean that the roster cannot be changed but the changes don't occur as many times as in an nsop right for example All... i remember i was in uh, in nsop and i was sitting with a couple of my air force uh, sorry uh, nda colleagues who had come over we were sitting in manchester united in thane and i got a call sir you need to get airborne tomorrow morning right so, can't i am already down two beers he said nee sir aur koi hai nahi aapko aana padega are baat that won't happen in a airman right it may still end up happening but it doesn't happen as many times times right so if it were to happen 100 times in a nsop it may happen 10 times in an airline airline right 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 so that uh, was the singular reason why i shifted to an airline also sir i i feel that eventually uh, as you grow in uh, age your priorities also change you i i feel the the importance of giving time to yourself your family and yes, you know yes. those things absolutely see one of the reasons why i also left the air force was the same one is because i had reached a stage where i wouldn't be flying anymore right and i am not the office kind as you would have seen i am a completely outdoor person person absolutely there's no way i could be sitting in uh, air headquarters or command headquarters pushing files that's not my cup of tea right so one is i wanted to get out of there so that i could fly and secondly is i wanted time to pursue my hobbies which i had not got for 27 years right okay like if you see i do a lot of hobbies cycling <laughs> riding you know sure so sure sir it's not sure, possible sir. in the air force so right that, so this was the basic two reasons right right no other reason. otherwise the air force is a fantastic way of life i lived and enjoyed every moment absolutely sir absolutely no doubt um so also um 
now you have gone through the in fact i would say uh, the three most sought after you know uh, aviation fields uh, in india you know uh, fighter jet flying then there's business jet flying and now commercials so what would be just as a pilot what would you say is one of the most um, you know salient differences between being a fighter jet pilot uh, being a business jet pilot and i'm i'm talking from a flying perspective flying the okay. plane perspective and a commercial jet pilot okay so uh, let's be uh, the fighters i have more or less described it you know it's a single seat and it is mission accomplishment at all costs right right so that is one it's a completely different aspect and it is not only for fighters it could also be for helicopters and transports okay? right for example in a helicopter you could be uh needing to land on a hut with one skid on the hut the other in the air to pick up a lady like one of my pupils do who was pregnant during floods right or like air marshal chief marshal fali major did uh, evacuating people from the timber trail after that uh, rope cable had snapped okay or picking up people from an earthquake or the the transports which are doing you know flying 17 hours without change of crew getting oxygen uh, generators and things like that right picking up people in the relief so that's one part military aviation fighters transports helicopters completely different okay like i said mission accomplishment at all costs cost okay? right for example if you need to go to sudan and get uh, oxygen concentrators to india doesn't matter what the weather is doesn't matter how the runways doesn't matter how many hours you need to fly you, you need to fly to right you will have to go and get it right now let's come to corporates the corporates are you no know, unscheduled they are known as unscheduled no non scheduled right. non scheduled non-scheduled operators permit nsop right. okay so the major difference is the schedule okay the third is also that maybe when you like say i go from mumbai to uh, ahmedabad right it is possible right. from ahmedabad i may be told now no, you go to bhavnagar to pick up a passenger and go to jamnagar refuel and come back right other major difference is in the corporate you need to do, do everything on your own okay the flight plan the refueling the load and train you no know, deciding to open the okay. door okay uh, coordinating for adc fic you no know, parking everything okay So the there's no there's no operation the ground operations department nothing nothing okay okay even if there is it's your responsibility right right like they can send you an excel sheet of the passenger distribution with a general load and trim but it is your responsibility if he makes a mistake uh, you cannot say he made it okay it's okay. on you basically yeah so when i used to land in a particular place i had to ensure that there is refueling facility there right okay if there was passengers on board transit passengers i had to ensure that there is a headset so somebody can stay in touch while the duration of refueling as per rules right okay so i couldn't say that no no nobody gave me a headset so i didn't have a headset it caught fire and things like that right right okay whether i am within limits whether uh, the charts are available on board the jepson charts all that is the responsibility of the crew right okay the training if i had to do crm or dgr training i had to ensure that i am scheduled for it and go and do the training okay whereas in an airline you will have a department for everything right in fact before i joined air asia no there was another of my colleagues uh, with me in the nsop okay mm-hmm. we both had gone for the interview together for air asia right and he joins earlier than me okay so after he joined we used to i mean we are still great friends and we keep chatting about everything so right. asked, what is one singular difference because uh, this airline was known for quick turn rounds 25 minute turn rounds turn rounds right so i told him mere 25 minute mein kaise hoga bolta sir itna zyada time hai aap aaram se baith ke jo karna hai kar sakte ho ha <laughs> i said how is it possible because he said har cheez ke liye koi na koi aur responsible hai ha right so that is the difference okay i mean i can just uh, his words describe it all. absolutely so i i even like from whatever i have seen from commercial airliners there is a department for everything you do so now uh, yeah every right little thing okay even the head count of the passengers passengers yeah <laughs> right okay? and the in the in the in sop here it's not so i just sit in the cockpit he will come and give me the final load and trim final passenger figure and i am done right right there it was not so there it was even the fact that i had to close it go and close the baggage door and ensure the refueling door is closed closed so things like that even if there are snags i had to do the correction myself right that way. okay so i got it um so sir uh, 
lastly there's just one thing which i uh, would want to uh, ask you there yeah. are a lot of uh, people in our country currently pursuing aviation now aviation has become one of the forefront uh, you know fields uh, how we talk about doctors engineers people are also talking about pilots and talking about <coughs> aviation a lot in india and rightly so there's uh, there's there we saw a boom in aviation in 2019 before you know all of this uh, covid situation happened and uh, because of the covid uh, we have been aviation as a whole has been uh, largely affected Uh, so in these difficult times what would your um, you know word of advice be to all the people who are uh, aspiring to be aviators of all kinds be it engineers be it pilots be it uh, whichever fields uh, they want to go for cabin crew or in any field what would you uh, like to tell them as a experienced pilot uh, working in the aviation okay let's talk of the aviation boom that you said right the boom was in 2019 and now it's at the complete dip right this is not the first time it has happened this is not the last time it's going to happen right i have seen at least five booms and five dips in my life right okay there was there was no private airlines earlier and then right. suddenly airlines like modi luft okay east west etc came about yeah right they tried their best and then they succumbed and they went into a dip dip right suddenly huge number of unemployed people because these guys just ran away overnight Right. If you go to Nagpur, there is an aircraft. I think of Modi Loop still parked in between the two runways. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then again, the aviation boom picked up. Kingfisher and Air Deccan and Sahara and everything came. Right. And then what happened? Sahara, Kingfisher dipped. Right. Again, the loss of jobs. People didn't know what to do. Correct. They got absorbed. Again, aviation boom and then Jet Airways closed in 2019. 19. Right. So this is a sinusoidal curve. It happens every time. It happens in every career. in every walk of life it is just that maybe because aviation is so glamorous and so well seen that it gets talked of more often more often right right so that is the reason so never give up on a dream okay never right. think that this is the end of it yes it is tough but it is tough everywhere where isn't it tough right there are so many engineers and doctors that didn't have jobs there were people who were engineers who were working in as peons and things like that isn't it right right sir so it is so okay now coming to the point about aviation in india well let's be very clear what is the difference between aviation in india and in comparison to say middle east the southeast asia or europe okay right. i was telling somebody the other day i did a flight from mumbai to guwahati 3 hours 3 and a half hours right later, right right if i fly in europe 3 and a half hours i'll go across six countries <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. right is there any place in the entire middle east which you need to fly 3 and a half hours to get to or you will go and come back within 3 and a half hours right there's southeast asia right right so the uh, the sort of cancellation of international flying the way it has affected countries av airlines in europe middle east and southeast asia has not affected india as such as such right yes it is damaging it has caused loss of profits loss of jobs because you are not flying as much as you would would correct but you're still doing some domestic flying right Now in Malaysia, what domestic flying would you do, or Singapore, single airport? What domestic flying will you flying do? Flying, are you going to? Absolutely. You can just do a joyride, get airborne from Changi, come back and land in Changi. Changi, yeah. Right. In Malaysia, maybe two, three airports, but those two, three airports are so close together that people would much rather travel in their own cars. Right. Have you understood? So aviation won't die. Right. Right. Yes, it takes time, and we had thought, and we were more or less coming back to eighty percent capacity. Right. By the time this second wave struck us. absolutely yeah so once again hopefully we'll have things under control and aviation is will pick up right yet, what i would advise is spend your money wisely correct slow down if you find that there is an issue right okay and i always advise this to every individual who wants to enter aviation right Speak to everybody listen to everybody read the book and take the decision based on what's written in the book correct okay recently i was speaking to somebody who was talking about you no know, how should he go about preparing for his license right i said have you read the car df kit right or the car for endorsement training on an aircraft less than 5700 and more than 5700 right. he said to me sir i spoke to this 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 i said spoke to him can you quote him when you go to dgca <laughs> right said, i was told this uh, this is what has happened right this is the problem okay the issue is it is so much in the news that everybody every abc has become an expert correct there are flying schools classes consultants who have mushroomed at every second corner 
right but ask them to give it to you in writing and certify saying that okay i'll follow your advice give it to me in writing that you will help me get my license really do it <laughs> that's that's why take now you're talking to me i'm telling you all the information but at the end i will always say this read the book read the order follow the order correct because two things i will tell you from memory i don't have the order in front of me right one. secondly when i did my license i did it many years ago what was applicable then may not be applicable today now right yes for example i'll give you a simple example when i did my cpl what did you need you required some 150 hours in the last two years or last one year as the case may be Right. What you need today? Ten hours in the last six months. Right. It's changed. If I tell you, no, no, you require twenty five hours in the last six months. You will go spend money on twenty five hours. Come back and no, ki only ten hours. Take it. Charge. Karna tha. Right. Right. So my advice to anybody wanting to get into this field is simple. This is an expensive career to follow. Extremely expensive. Unforgiven. Right. If you make a mistake, you could be grounded or removed or have your license cancelled. Right. Right. research study write down look at your finances and then only spend every single penny in such a manner that you get the maximum bang for the minimum buck bucks right read the law read the order if required you can now check online go to dgca there's a egca site put up your query get a response that you can quote right but what you have spoken to me can you quote no, absolutely not exactly <laughs> it's as simple as that and that requires you know, that's why i tell everybody speak to every single you speak to like i said you no know, speak to somebody who even says ki i am a pilot because i can flap my hands and fly right but tell him quote it to me if you can't quote it take it with a pinch of salt correct okay yes sir uh, uh all right so that that actually makes sense because uh, also now uh, information from the authorities say dgca or fa or easa or any any of these authorities that you we talk about any competent authority of ago uh, of any uh, country it's so readily available also that there is not much of finding that you need to do you exactly. know uh, there is uh, it's not a rocket science to go and uh, just put it on google and find out what the car says or absolutely oh. just a word of caution just a word of caution when you do that remember beware of information overload right okay i have seen lot of people downloading so much of stuff in their laptop but never reading it for the rest of their lives lives yeah so use download only that that you need to use now right it's just about starting off for aviation what is the point of knowing what is you no know, etops and things like that because you haven't even applied for a uh, computer number number exactly so how to do the computer number you will require a verification of your class 10th and 12th also sir uh, i don't know if you have observed this but even i like on a very small scale i uh, mentor about the the tasks that i have completed about like this computer number and like yeah. you know which school to go to people often start off with which type rating should i do and exactly i am i am really like, my god <laughs> you first at least give your computer number computer, first pass yeah. your papers papers yeah yeah that's what and when they talk of type rating they just heard it they don't know what is required for type rating <laughs> that's so true because they say read the car read the civil aviation requirement notice that the dgc gives they have made it for a purpose no right and they made it to benefit you look at that rule look at that order with the view that it is done to help me it is every rule that is made is designed for an average person with average capability with average effort to get what he wants absolutely it is not designed for the most uh, no extraordinary yeah exactly so everyone I, i this is some you know good you brought it up but this is something which uh, and i am not in a position to you know address it but uh, i have seen and heard of so many people who uh, directly go on to stages which which are like four or five years down the line and to all of them i say bhai jo like what you have in hand or go for smaller goals don't yes you should have a blueprint of the longer run but don't don't think about the type rating before finishing your navigation paper or you know all these the basic ancillary stuff that you have to do so i guess it's just the uh, it's just a common issue that everyone uh, comes across it is But, it is more so primarily because of the information that you keep getting from others and or sharing on whatsapp university and facebook <laughs> type on google how to become a pilot no it it, it will give you 1001 ways of getting it now which is yeah, the Right, right, is right. Is Google the answer, or is DGC a car the answer? Answer, absolutely. As simple as that. That's that's so true, sir. 
Okay, sir. Uh, that would be uh, the perfect ending to this first podcast. Thank you so uh, much. Uh, to sum it up, uh, it was nothing less than an honor to have this conversation with you. I know many people uh, who will be listening to this and uh, who will have a huge takeaway from uh, the inspiration and the motivation that you have given, and also the sh- uh, story that you have shared. And uh, thank you so much for giving us your time. And I sir, wish you. I'm crossing my fingers and my toes, and I hope someone somewhere gets uh, some sort of benefit from this. Absolutely, sir. My my takeaway from this is even if a single person, you know, makes uh, a um, a good. Uh, you know it has a good takeaway from whatever he or she has heard uh, i still feel accomplished it's no- nothing less than you know an accomplishment for absolutely, me absolutely so uh, ending it on a note where i wish you bluest of skies and safest of landings and wish you all the same and hopefully like i keep saying one fine day let's hope we get into the same cockpit sure sir i i am looking forward to that day sir looking forward to it too thank you sir jai hind all the best take care and jai hind thank you Greetings to all the listeners of the Aviators podcast, the first aviation podcast of India. We are in conversation with someone who plays a very important role at one of the busiest airports of the world, San Francisco International Airport. He has a key role on the air side operations for a smooth operations for all aircrafts on the tarmac. He is the airport operations specialist and a very good friend of mine, Mr. Rohit Agarwal. Hi Rohit, uh, it's lovely having you here on my podcast. Uh, please tell us a little about your job profile, what do you do, and a little about yourself. 